Good day. Welcome to another episode of the Audible Local Ledger Reads to the Blind podcast. You can get more information at audiblelocalledger.org. Stay tuned for today's reading. Good morning. This is Carolyn reading to you from the Cape Cod Times on Wednesday, October 18th. We'll start with the weather. Today's weather is going to be partly sunny with perhaps a couple of showers. Highs will be around 61 degrees. Tonight will be a mainly clear night with lows around 50. The sun rose this morning at 6.56 a.m. and will set tonight at 5.56 p.m. Tomorrow, Thursday, October 19th, will be partly sunny and delightful. Highs of 67 degrees and lows of 54 degrees. Friday will be a mostly cloudy day with a little rain expected in the afternoon. The high 67 degrees and the lows 59 degrees. Saturday will be another rainy day and it will be breezy in the morning with highs of 65 and lows of 55. And finally, on Sunday, it will be a mostly cloudy day, still a bit windy and with a little bit of rain. Highs, 64 degrees, and lows of 47 degrees. In other local news, we'll go to the lottery numbers next. The numbers game for yesterday, Tuesday, October 17th, at the midday drawing were two, nine, eight, seven. I will repeat that, two, nine, eight, seven. The evening drawing for yesterday, seven, zero, three, four. Again, that's seven, zero, three, four. The mass cash numbers for yesterday October 17th, were 10, 13, 20, 22, and 34. The Mega Millions numbers for yesterday, 5, 6, 29, 32, 61, with a bonus ball of 20. And finally, the Lucky for Life numbers for yesterday, 2, 14, 15, 21, 35, with a lucky ball of 6. If you play the lottery, we wish you a lot of luck. And now to our front page local stories. The first one is entitled, Part-Timer Voting Questioned in Truro. Are second homeowners in Truro allowed to change their residency to Cape Cod? By Walker Armstrong, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. Board members of a Truro part-time resident nonprofit organization presented a plan to its members in August asking them to change their voter registration to the town of Truro 
to exert more influence at Saturday's special town meeting. David Sullivan, former legal counsel to the state secretary of the Commonwealth's Elections Division, said the plan was illegal under Massachusetts state law. At stake at the special town meeting are competing proposals for a new Department of Public Works facility, as well as a housing proposal to build 160 units on a roughly 70-acre plot known as the Walsh property. The Truro Part-Time Taxpayers Association sent an email to members on August 6, 2023, laying out a plan to encourage other part-time residents who own property in Truro to change their voter registration status. In an email obtained by The Times, Regan McCarthy, vice president of the association, said members should register to vote for the upcoming town meeting, quote, even if only for the next year, end quote. Our top goal is to get 200 part-timers to register to vote in Truro within the period required before fall special town meeting, McCarthy said in the email. Between June and September, 88 people registered to vote in Truro, according to Town of Truro data. It's the highest number of newly registered voters in Truro during that time frame in the last nine years. The town had 2,181 registered voters when town elections were held in May, former town clerk KCA Fullerton reported at the time. Massachusetts voters can only have one residence at a time. Sullivan disagreed with McCarthy's assurances about the legality of what was outlined in her email. In general, no, it is not legal, Sullivan an elections expert told the Times, referring to the legality of registering to vote temporarily in a precinct or ward where one does not permanently reside. Sullivan, who lives in Cambridge, said the concept of residency is a legally defined term outlined in a booklet he originally authored for the Secretary of the Commonwealth titled Residents for Voting Purposes. You only get to have one residence at a time, and in order to change your residence, you have to do more than just sign a piece of paper. Your whole life has to change, Sullivan said. The center of your domestic and civil life has to be where you are a resident. Encouraging people to register illegally is a crime, Sullivan said, and is designated as aiding and abetting. He said criminality, however, is predicated on the parties involved knowing what they are doing is illegal. 
if you don't know that you are ineligible to vote, then it's not a crime, he said. But a court could still throw out your vote and would throw out your vote if the court determined that you are not a legal resident. Truro town manager Darren Tangeman said it was disconcerting to see misinformation regarding voter registration circulating throughout the town. He said people who were misinformed about the registration process are encouraged to reconsider their intent to vote. We want to encourage participation in the town meeting and our elections, but we want to encourage people to do it legally and legitimately with the intent of becoming a Truro resident, Tangeman said. It is very concerning that we, as a town, are having to address the integrity of our elections and our democracy with this voter registration strategy being distributed around town. The Truro Association's aim was entirely permissible voter registration activity. The association had retained a lawyer who advised them not to broadcast their efforts publicly, McCarthy said in the August email, adding it was to avoid the attention of, quote, the existing political machine, end quote, who may intend to stop them from having a voice in Truro's governance. The association's aim was simply to encourage people to vote. Anthony Garrett, president of the Truro Part-Time Residents Taxpayers Association, said in a written statement, adding their strategy was, quote, entirely permissible voter registration activity. End quote. The law does not outline a time period for which it is necessary to declare residency for voting purposes, he said. In other words, it is legal for voters to declare home where they believe home to be in the Commonwealth and to do so at any time, Garrett said in the statement and then they have a right to vote where their home is. He said the group consulted the state elections office before taking part in voter registration efforts as decided upon by their membership. Sullivan said the association's interpretation of the law is incorrect adding it's not the case people can pick wherever they want to vote, as res residency for voting purposes has to do with objective facts and not subjective interpretations of where their home is. What counts is not where you say your home is, but the facts show your home to be, Sullivan said. A call for a district attorney investigation into Truro voter registration. 
McCarthy responded to a request for comment, but ultimately did not speak to the Times. In her August email, McCarthy outlined Truro town business of significant interest for the upcoming special town meeting. The email, which was addressed to 13 other members of the Truro Part-Time Taxpayers Association, made mention of a petition to oust town manager Darren Tangeman, a petition regarding the development of a new Department of Public Works facility and the new Walsh property housing development proposal. Several requests for comments were sent to the 13 individuals copied in McCarthy's email. Only one individual responded, saying in an email they were not a registered voter in Truro. The two items McCarthy mentioned in her email are among 15 other articles on the agenda several addressing changes to the town's zoning and general bylaws pertaining to stormwater management drainage, erosion, and sediment control, public safety in regard to curb cuts and building permits, as well as duplex and, and apartment zoning language. Senator Julian Seard, Democrat Truro, said the efforts of the Truro Part-Time Resident Taxpayers Association might be considered a conspiracy to violate election laws, adding he would consider asking the Cape and Islands District Attorney's Office to investigate the matter. Our democracy is predicated on the principle of one person, one vote, Sear said. It is deeply worrisome to see an effort by individuals who have had much fortune in their lives, who are fortunate to have many residences, subvert the election process of our town. And the front page picture accompanying this story is of the Truro Town Hall with a caption that says, Truro Town Hall is located at 24 Town Hall Road. Our next front page story is under the header of or Orleans Town Meeting, and the title is Voters Give Thumbs Up to Adding Firefighters by Zane Razak, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. Voters at Monday's special town meeting overwhelmingly supported a move to fund and hire eight new full-time firefighters to boost the understaffed department. According to the moderator, 423 voters backed the article, while 28 opposed it, easily clearing the required simple majority vote. Now, during the town's seventh town election, voters also need to pass an operational override of $925,000 to pay for the salaries and fringe benefits. A remaining 
$231,000 for equipment and training will be covered from free cash. The town presently has five firefighters per shift. An additional eight firefighters would mean seven firefighters per shift, allowing for two ambulances or an ambulance and fire engine on the road simultaneously. Fire Chief George E. Deering has said the additional firefighters will improve quality of life, both for residents and firefighters. More firefighters will result in improved response to emergencies, and firefighters will be less burdened, he said. The data indicates that, on average, with multiple simultaneous calls and limited callback resources, 30% of the time, the station is left with one or two or even no firefighters or paramedics to respond to the next call, said Finance Committee member Lynn Bruno. This was true a year ago, and it continues. Bruno said the plan is to begin hiring in January, so the new firefighters will be part of the shift rotation in time for next summer. The base salary of a new firefighter would be just under $62,000. Orleans had applied for funding through the Federal Staffing for Adequate Fire and Emergencies Response Grant, which would pay for salaries and benefits for up to three years. While the town has not officially heard back yet, Town officials believe the town did not win the grant because all awards appear to be allocated on the website. Because the grant only covers new staff, the town cannot apply for it next year. In other business, voters settled all 33 articles on the town meeting warrant on Monday including approving $50,000 to treat Pilgrim Lake with alum, or aluminum sulfate, which helps address phosphate pollution issues. Voters also authorized the select board to file a home rule petition for a pesticide reduction bylaw. The next front page story under the heading of Mashpee Town Meeting is Mashpee Wampanoag Tribe to get 13.5 acres for Replica Village by Rachel Devaney, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. The process to transfer more than 13.5 acres from the town to the Mashpee Wampanoag Tribe will begin now that Article 10 and Article 12 passed at Mashpee Town Meeting on Monday. About 594 voters attended Town Meeting, which began at 7 p.m. at Mashpee Middle High School. Throughout Town Meeting, 
there was significant debate swirling around wastewater expenditures, additional dwelling units, or ADUs, and the preservation of trees throughout Mashpee. But a significant number of Mashpee Wampanoag tribal members turned up to support the transfer of four town-owned parcels equaling roughly 13.63 acres to tribal jurisdiction. While Article 10, which surrounds expansion of the old Indian Meeting House Cemetery, passed with zero discussion and 455 votes, multiple tribal members stepped to the microphone to discuss Article 12. The Warrant article asked Mashpee residents to transfer three town-owned parcels, 35, 415, and 409, to tribal jurisdiction. The parcels are at 35 Lake Avenue, 409 Main Street, and 415 Main Street, and will make way for construction of a true replica of a Wampanoag village. Earl Chiefy Mills, Jr., chief of the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe, said passage of Article 12 would be a big win for the tribe, but also a considerable win for the community with construction of the Wampanoag village. The citizens of of the town will benefit. This is an educational project, but it's also a reason for people to come into Mashpee and spend their dollars at our local businesses, he said. Daryl Wixon, a Mashpee Wampanoag tribal member, also spoke during the discussion period and said future generations of children of all backgrounds will be able to learn about Wampanoag culture together. We are the people of the circle of life, the people of the first light. We are asking you to stay connected with us, he said. If we keep this disconnection going, none of us will exist. All our relations. Nathan Adams of Mashpee said he is in favor of the Wampanoag village, but was concerned that the town-owned beach at Mashpee Pond would be privatized under tribal jurisdiction. I am concerned that we are about to sign over a public beach, he said. I don't want to live in a place where we have some beaches for this ethnic group and some beaches for that ethnic group. We are going to end up separated. Talia Landry, a tribal member and petitioner for Article 12, said there's no intent on behalf of the tribe to privatize the Mashpee Pond Beach. In addition to the town, the Mashpee Baptist Church owns part of the beach, Landry reminded voters. 
That ownership doesn't keep town residents off the beach, she said. There's nobody telling you that if you aren't a churchgoer, you can't go on that side of the beach, she said. This will be the same concept as that. It is not in Wampanoag culture to erect gates or fences, said Landry. That's just not our way, she said. Dacia Peters, a Wampanoag tribal member, said the project will benefit all of Mashpee, especially the youth. It's not easy growing up indigenous in spaces where you don't always feel represented or seen, she said. The establishment of this home site will give our kids a desperately needed space to learn and practice their culture in an area that holds so much significance for our people. Article 12 passed with 393 votes. And there are two pictures with this story. The first is of tribal elder Daryl Wixon, and the caption says, Mashpee Wampanoag tribal elder Daryl Wixon spoke about the importance of working together to support Wampanoag culture at Mashpee Town Meeting Monday. Wixon said the passage of Article 12 gives town residents and tribal members an opportunity to coexist in a positive way. The second picture is of Talia Landry, and the caption says, Talia Landry speaks about Article 12 at Mashpee Town Meeting Monday. The warrant article passed, which will enable the town to transfer three town-owned land parcels to tribal jurisdiction. And now we'll go to the Cape and Islands page. The first story, Thrive and Survive, Over 60 on Cape Cod, Six Women Still Triumphing, by Susan Vaughn, special to Cape Cod Times. People over 60 are expected to retire and take life easy. That's not so for many women on the Cape who have found new, meaningful ways to convert lifelong skills or unexpected circumstances into significant contributions in business, the nonprofit sector, community enrichment, or personal growth. The Cape Cod Women's Association recognized such, such achievements by six women in its annual, excuse me, in its second annual Six Over 60 Awards announced last month. The association brings women together to broaden their social and professional relationships and enhance their lives through networking, education, personal development, and scholarships. The accomplishments of older women facing challenges are sometimes overlooked, said Association President Cindy Cotton. It's important to see how women go through it and thrive 
and survive, she said. The honorees from their 60s to 80s are Carrie Bickford, Jean Morrison, Kim Fulton Marchand, Olivia Massey-White, Robin Orbinson, and Suzanne Dyer-Wise. Carrie Bickford, Marston's Mills. Carrie Bickford, age 70, of Marston's Mills, has turned a personal tragedy into her lifelong work. Bickford lost her son, Nathan, in 2018 in a drug overdose death. She channeled her sorrow into forming Nathan's Circle, a support group where other parents and family members who have had similar losses can share their grief. She received training as a peer grief specialist along with her husband, Rick. Carrie also continued her decade-long service on the Massachusetts Grandparent Commission while raising two grandchildren in addition to her three children. I could see that families in our situation were not getting a lot of help, Bickford said of starting Nathan's Circle. She's also provided comfort by articulating her feelings in the Support After a Death by Overdose organization newsletter, Voices. The worst thing that happened to me created this very meaningful work. I can't imagine not doing it, she said. We'll continue this story with the other five women after we go to the obituaries. And now we'll go to the obituaries. Rose Isabel Capel. Rose Isabel Hayward Capel, age 93, formerly of Hyannis, passed away peacefully on Sunday, October 15, 2023, at St. Francis Rehabilitation and Nursing Center in Worcester. She was the beloved wife of the late Anthony P. Capel, with whom she shared many loving years of marriage until his passing in 2000. Friends and family are invited for visitation on Wednesday, October 18th from 4 to 7 p.m. at Doan, Beale, and Ames Funeral Home, 160 West Main Street, Hyannis. A funeral service will be held on Thursday, October 19th at 9.30 a.m. at the funeral home. Interment will follow at 11.15 a.m. in Massachusetts National Cemetery, Bourne. In lieu of flowers, memorial contributions may be made in Rose's name to Elder Services of Cape Cod. To leave an online condolence, please visit www.doanbealamesheyannis.com. Mary A. Bacon. Mary A. Bacon 
of Norwood, West Yarmouth, and most recently, Duxbury, passed away peacefully on October 14, 2023. Mary was predeceased by her husband of 54 years, John J. Bacon. Relatives and friends are respectfully invited to greet the family during the visiting hours on Thursday, October 19th from 3 to 7 p.m. in the Pine Cohane Funeral Home, 21 Emerald Street, off Central Street, Hingham. A celebration of life service will be held in the funeral home at 9.15 a.m. on Friday, October 20th, prior to the funeral mass in St. Paul's Church, 147 North Street, Hingham, at 10 a.m. Burial in St. Paul's Parish Cemetery, Hingham. In lieu of flowers, the family requests that you make a donation to the Cotting School at www.cotting.org or a charity of your choice. See www.cohane.com for directions and online condolences and for the full obituary. Peter M. Zentz, age 67, formerly of Sandwich and New Seabury, passed away at his home in Vieques, Puerto Rico, on October 12, 2023. He is survived by his beloved and devoted husband, Rick Gifford. A celebration of Peter's life will be held on a date to be determined. Donations can be made in Peter's memory to our big fat Caribbean rescue.org. And now we'll return to the story that we were reading before the obituaries. It is entitled Thrive and Survive Over 60 on Cape Cod Six Women Still Triumphing. The second woman is Olivia Massey White of Falmouth. It's been a lovely journey in the United States, said Olivia Massey White, age 86, of Falmouth. A 25-year-old immigrant from India nearly 50 years ago, she arrived on a scholarship and earned a master's degree in religious education at the Perkins School of Theology in Dallas. With a bachelor's degree in biology, she then returned to her first love and earned master's and doctorate degrees and taught biology for 20 years. White's theology degree came into use again when she was called by the United Church of Christ to be Minister of Global Ministries in Cleveland. She was also elected as Vice President of the World Alliance of Reformed Churches. After retiring, she and her husband Terry came to the Cape, 
where their only daughter, Sherry White, is working as an engineer at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute. I'm an activist, she said. So when coming to Falmouth, she immediately got involved in the first congregational church, the Cape Cod Council of Churches, and the Museum on the Green, became president of the Newcomers Club, and is on the steering committee of No Place for Hate, an organization to create unity through vigils, standouts, and lectures. She maintains traditions of her heritage as well as being a passionate Dallas Cowboys fan. The next woman, Kim Fulton Marchand, Yarmouthport. Kim Fulton Marchand, age 66, of Yarmouthport, spent her whole career as an operating or financial officer for small businesses and continues sharing those skills. She operated the Seswit Harbor House in East Dennis for 11 years with her husband, Jim. She served as president of the Dennis Chamber of Commerce, co-chairman of the Cape Cod Women's Business Summit, and was possibly the first female chairman of SCORE, a national nonprofit organization that offers free coaching and mentoring to small business owners. While sharing her experience and expertise as a volunteer, Marchand hasn't stopped working in business. She has two businesses, Marchand CFO, and most recently bought Cape Space, a co-working flexible office space in Hyannis and Mashpee, from Robin Orbinson, another 6 over 60 honoree who had owned Cape Space for nine years. Both women earned MBAs at Simmons College. Next is Robin Orbinson, Sandwich. In addition to helping small businesses, Orbinson, age 64 of Sandwich, provided free meeting spaces at both Cape Space locations to nonprofits. She has, quote, transformed her co-working establishments into vibrant community hubs where collaboration thrives, end quote, Colton said in her awards ceremony introduction. As president of the Cape Cod Tech Council, Orbinson led it out of an, of an upheaval after the COVID-19 pandemic, demonstrating her trademark tenacity and vision. The next woman, Suzanne Dyer-Wise of Dennis. Another award winner and testament to tenacity, Suzanne Dyer-Wise, age 79, of Dennis, was undeterred by past setbacks from an accident and triple bypass surgery and now participates in multiple triathlons annually. 
Since retirement in the fields of operations, finance, and public relations, she has been the driving force behind numerous nonprofit initiatives, including co-founding Educating Every Child and spearheading the transition of CCWA, or Cape Cod Women's Association, from the American Women's Business Association. She is chairwoman of the Cape Association's Scholarship Fund that provided scholarships to women over 25 returning to college. And finally, Jean Morrison of Centerville. Jean Morrison, age 64, of Centerville, is now a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant, but spent the bulk of her career as the Assistant General Manager of Diversity and Civil Rights for the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority. She has been an advocate for human rights, equity, social, and racial justice throughout her life and career. She is also co-president of the League of Women Voters of the Cape Cod area, political and civic leadership platform chair for the Massachusetts Women of Color Coalition, chairperson for Barnstable County Human Rights Advisory Commission, board president of Amplify POC, and an NAACP Cape Cod member. The next story on the Cape and Islands page is entitled, Report on Canal Bridges Highlights Regional Voices, Warren Says, by Walker Armstrong, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. A report released by a joint delegation of Massachusetts lawmakers in Congress underscores the urgent need to replace the octogenarian Bourne and Sagamore Bridges and is another effort to win the attention of state and federal officials and secure funding for the $4 billion project. Senators Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey, as well as U.S. Representative Bill Keating, prepared the study, which features perspectives from an array of Cape and Island organizations, agencies, and local governments. I'm here in Washington fighting for more funding for the bridges, and nothing is more powerful than hearing the direct voices of people who are affected by these bridges, Warren said in a Monday interview with the Times. Those are the kinds of personal experiences that have a stronger impact when we're trying to make the case for increased funding to replace those bridges. Warren, Markey, and Keating drafted a letter in September to U.S. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg to flag the Commonwealth's 
$1.44 billion grant application to replace the Cape Cod bridges. Warren said this time their report is for a wider audience of state and federal lawmakers. We've made real progress since the last letter we wrote, Warren said. President Biden has demonstrated his commitment to this project with a budget that includes an additional $350 million this year for the bridges. She added the state issued a proposal to the Department of Transportation for funding, and the state is making its own independent commitment to allocate more money toward the project. The Cape Cod Chamber of Commerce said in the study that replacing the bridges is, quote, a matter of survival, end quote, for businesses on the Cape, as most goods and services are transported on and off Cape via the bridges. The chamber also noted the region supports nearly 10,000 businesses and a $1.5 billion tourism industry that generated $181 million in state and local tax revenue last year. Nearly 31,000 jobs off Cape were worked by people who lived in the region and commuted, commuted over the bridges to work in 2020, the Cape Cod Commission stated in the report. The commission also noted 21,500 jobs, or about 50% of the Cape Cod workforce, lived on the Cape and commuted off, making the bridges daily worker commuted, commuter toll just more than 50,000. Emergency medical care is another subject noted in the report. The town of Bourne mentioned that the gridlock on the bridges impacts the response time of emergency services. In Sandwich, 11% of municipal workers commute over the bridges, including firefighters and EMS officers. I want to make sure that the voices of the people on the Cape are heard loud and clear on Beacon Hill and Capitol Hill, Warren said. And next we'll go to some local sports stories. Under the heading Cape Cod High School Boys Soccer Rankings, the story is entitled Who Made the List? by Andre Sims, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. The boys' soccer season across Cape Cod is reaching its climax as teams are coming down the home stretch with an eye on the upcoming state tournament. Monomoy leads the area with 10 wins, while Upper Cape have been the area's highest flyers so far. Every team on this list is squarely in the playoff picture, and each have at least six wins. 
how the teams has been, have been successful is where you start to see differences. Some teams blow opponents away with high-powered offenses, while others have used stifling defense. Here are the first Cape Cod Boys soccer rankings. Number one, Monomoy Sharks. They are 10, 2, and 2. Full disclosure, I gave serious consideration to Upper Cape at number one, but ultimately went with the Sharks for a couple of reasons. The first one is that I felt like the quality of their two losses was higher than Upper Cape's, and the Sharks' position in the MIAA power rankings reflect that. The Sharks are currently the number 18 seed in Division 4 and are squarely in the playoff picture. The Sharks are also the only team on Cape Cod to have reached 10 victories this season, and I felt like that should also count for something. Ryan Laramie is the leader of a potent Monomoy attack. The junior captain paces the team in goals and can also act as a distributor. As a team, the Sharks have scored 45 goals this season, good for second in the area. Tate Laramie is only a freshman, but already has double-digit assists and has established himself as one of the best passers in the area. Number two, Cape Cod Upper Cape Rams, excuse me, nine, one, and one. Here's the reason why Upper Cape could have been in the top spot. The Rams boast the highest scoring offense on Cape Cod, finding the back of the net 50 times in 11 games. Couple that with the fact that the Rams have only conceded 12 goals, tied for the second fewest, and you get a goal difference of plus 38, which is better than any other school on Cape Cod. The goals are coming from all over, with plenty of Rams getting in on the action. Jaden Barton, Gideon Drury, Sean McCarthy, and Lucas Sherman are just a few of the Rams that have been filling up the goal tallies, and the assists are shared between plenty as well. What ultimately led me to putting them in the second spot was that the Rams are currently ranked number 38 in the MIAA Division 8 power rankings. Number three, Nauset Warriors at 7-3-1. Nauset is off to a strong start in 2023 and has the leadership and production of a senior captain, Charlie Cushing, at the core of it. Cushing is equal parts goal scorer and goal provider and has been the focal point of the Nauset attack. Nauset head coach John McCulley described the senior as a true box-to-box midfielder, 
which shows that Cushing is impacting the game in multiple ways, including on the defensive side of the ball. The defense has really been the driving force behind the Warriors' success this season. Nossett has allowed the fewest goals out of any team on Cape Cod, which is 11, and goalie Dominic Beber is a big part of that. The Warriors goalie returned to the team after missing the bulk of last season due to injury and has been the final line of a strong Nosset defense. Cullen Kavanaugh has been the leader of the Warriors' back line. Nosset is currently number 22 in the MIAA Division IV Power Rankings. Sandwich Blue Knights at 7-2-2. The Blue Knights have a core of seniors who have been driving their successes this season. Matthew Murray has been the team's leading goal scorer and is a senior captain this season. In addition to him, Daniel Oman has also proved to be a vital piece of the sandwich attack, proving to be a hold-up player who is capable of getting his teammates involved as well. However, it's not just seniors that are making an impact this year. Head coach Dom Adukaitis called sophomore defensive midfielder Cameron Bice the sheriff of the team, and Bice has helped form the defensive spine. That spine has helped the Blue Knights give up the third fewest goals of all season, only conceding 14 in 11 games. Sandwich currently sits number 28 in the MIAA Division III power rankings. And finally, the Nantucket Whalers, 6-3-3. Nantucket is a very young team, but the Whalers have been coming into their own this season. Defensively, the Whalers have been strong. Through their 10 games, the Whalers have only allowed 16 goals, and sophomore goalkeeper Alex Ivaloff has made the number one shirt his own this season. Offensively, the Whalers have scored only 26 goals this year. Calvin Guerra, Eden Vasquez, Jose Diaz, and Jake Johnson have been the principal creators so far this season. The Whalers are currently number 22 in the latest MIAA Division IV power rankings. And finally, we will go to Today in History. Today is Wednesday, October 18th, the 291st day of 2023. There are 74 days left in this year. On this date in 1648, Boston shoemakers were authorized to form a guild to protect their interests becoming the first American labor organization on record.
on this date in 1867, the United States took formal possession of Alaska from Russia. On this date in 1892, the first long-distance telephone line between New York and Chicago was officially opened. In 1898, the American flag was raised in Puerto Rico shortly before Spain formally relinquished control of the island to the United States. On this date in 1954, Texas Instruments unveiled the Regency TR-1, the first commercially produced transistor radio. On this date in 1962, James D. Watson, Francis Crick, and Maurice Wilkins were honored with the Nobel Prize for Medicine and Physiology for determining the double helix molecular structure of DNA. And on this date in 1968, the U.S. Olympic Committee suspended Tommy Smith and John Carlos for giving a, quote, black power, end quote, salute as a protest during a victory ceremony in Mexico City. This has been Carolyn reading to you from the Cape Cod Times on Wednesday, October 18th. I hope you all have a wonderful day.